Welcome to episode two of the Beautiful Chaos Podcast. I'm your producer, Nathan Swanstrom, and today we have our lovely host, Alex Copeland, and our special guest, Brandon Schwager, talking about the badass queen turned Christian, St. Olga of Kiev, and then a broad overview of Spartan history and culture. Without further ado, go ahead and enjoy the episode. I will admit that military, political, and economic history is kind of the type of history I've focused on more than cultural. Yeah. Um, and it's not always funny. Like sometimes I just think it's cool because I find stuff to be like tactically or strategically interesting, not yes. necessarily because it makes a funny story, yeah. but one of the ones that we talked about in the car and I don't even know if this is actually funny, but I, I find, <laughs> I find parts of it funny. Yes. Um, it, I was telling him the, the story of my favorite uh, saint. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and there's, there's a real saint in the uh, Catholic and Greek Orthodox, Eastern Orthodox churches. Um, it's the uh, patron saint, I think, of widows and converts. It is Saint Olga of Kiev. Olga. Um, Olga. That's the best. Yeah, name. I know. Beautiful name, right? Beautiful. Olga. <laughs> <laughs> um, but so uh, Saint Olga of Kiev, um, before she was a saint, of course, was the, the wife of the Grand Prince of Kiev. Um, and this is like... Back during this time, Kiev was like the major, most prominent, most powerful city-state in a region. And when you were the most, like it wasn't a single country, but when you were the most powerful city-state, you kind of had the right to collect taxes from the lower city-states and all of your kind of nearby neighbors. And so that's what Kiev would do. They would regularly go out and just tax, you know, collect taxes from the other lesser cities, do nothing for them, just, you know, took the money. And this uh, particular uh prince of kiev was just a little bit too ambitious about the steepness of the taxes that he was attempting to collect <laughs> and so he he alienated the surrounding city states and he, uh while he was traveling in a caravan he got uh waylaid like on a highway and then he was just killed like i believe he was like hung to a tree or something like that they just murdered him just outright um and they were like yeah no we're, we're done with this and yeah. so there's going to be a new um grand prince of kiev now uh during this time it was it was a cultural norm that you know women were not largely educated many were not literate women that were involved in marriages was just kind of a a loveless political marriage they didn't actually run anything they didn't run state affairs they were just kind of you know trophy wives for breeding and so that's kind of what they assumed that she was so they didn't see any reason to kill her. They, they went up to her after murdering her husband and they were like, your, your husband is dead now, <laughs> but we don't want to have sorry, like, not sorry. Yeah. Uh, it's like, we don't have, <laughs> we don't want to have any like dynastic conflicts. Like if you have a child, you know, he'll challenge us for the throne, you know, like we don't, we just want to avoid. So like, we're going to pick a new grand prince and we'll, you can even participate in that choice, but you're going to marry this person. And then, you know, one of these like accomplices, these people who murdered your husband, and then you can still be the queen. Like you can stay the queen and we'll just have this new uh, grand prince who's in charge. And she was like, oh, that, okay, that's great. It'll be um, an honorary side chick. Yeah, exactly. Because, <laughs> um, you know, they assumed she basically had previously just been the honorary side chick. So though she was like, that's fine. Um, how about all of your noble families from like your cities, you can get together and you can send us a um, selection of like your young noble, like suitor princes. And then you know, I'll, I'll send him over and I'll pick one, you know, like the, the first episode of the bachelor. And I'll pick one and I'll marry him. And then they can be the new grand prince of Kiev. Imagine if we had a, a recording 
like a film of this like happening. <laughs> yeah, it's so cool. No, I think it'd be. It'd be but so they would make a great movie. Yes. So I they would just wait. You'll yeah. So they they sent all the suitors to her uh, to the city so she could pick one. And what what they did not know was that she actually like really really did love her husband, and that her husband had been coaching her to run affairs. Like had actually been teaching <laughs> her how to run the state and how to manage the army. So not only was she competent, but she was pissed yeah. and she had just like concealed all this very well. So after they all got inside <laughs> the city, she had a, had a pit dug and she had them all buried alive. Yeah. They messed uh, with the wrong bad bitch. Yeah. <laughs> no. So she, yeah, no, she killed them all. And then that, that would like for, buried for, alive. Yeah. So for wow. that, so for, for the surrounding city states, that was like it. They were like, we are done. Like it would, Kiev's just no longer going to be the preeminent city state anymore. They banded together. They formed a confederation. They got like a joint military together amongst their like ranks. They were like, okay, no, we're going to war. You like, you're done. Um, well, she had the, the larger army. She had the more well-funded army and she apparently knew how to use it. So she like, okay, fine. She like marshaled an army in response, which is actually like <laughs> incredibly rare for the, like you do not hear about too many women generals. And not yeah. only do you not hear about too many women generals, like from like the medieval era, but you also don't hear about too many of them being successful. <laughs> she yeah. kicked their ass. Like she like <laughs> beat them like like not not that she had an undefeated record or anything like she wasn't like a julius caesar or anything like that but she she did perform very well and um she beat them back to their last city um and she had the city under siege and like the fact that she was going to win was basically a foregone conclusion at this point like they were surrounded they knew they were screwed they just didn't want to die and so they, they 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 sent out all these diplomats to her. They were like, please, like just that's like Saint Olga of Kiev, by the way. <laughs> that, 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 that's the yeah. part that like always Saints makes me row. Yeah, yeah. That, that makes me chuckle. Is that like she was canonized later? <laughs> but um, so they uh they sent out their diplomats and they were like, okay, you, like we don't have a lot of wealth. Like we can't like impressively bribe you to not kill us all, but we don't really want the city to be sacked or done fighting. Like we'll surrender, but just like what conditions of surrender would you accept? Like that would, that'd be impressive enough to you to just not kill us all. And she was like, okay, fine. Like I've grown tired of all the slaughter. Um, she was <laughs> like, uh, so she was like, if, if every, I know you don't have a lot of gold. So if, if every house in your city gives me a tribute of birds, um, I will accept that as like a token of like your respect and, you know, compliance and I will not burn the city to the ground. Bird is the word. Um, and so <laughs> yeah. they, they did this. They, they, they collected a, a whole thing of birds and they delivered them to her. And, uh, during that night she had her army, uh, tie flecks of sulfur to the bird's feet and then let them all go. <laughs> so they all flew into the city back to their roosts. And sulfur being highly flammable like it is, the entire city caught on fire anyway. <laughs> and like it did start to burn to the ground. And as people tried to flee the burning city, she had the army hack them down as they fled since she already Bro. had the place <laughs> surrounded. It's <laughs> absolutely <laughs> savage. Yeah. Yes. No, it was. Well, it's, so, so here's the thing, too, that like, uh, it, I guess it loosely ties back into the things we thought were impossible. Back. Yeah. Mm. But um, the. Lots of history that's written in older records 
has a ton of embellishment and we just know it for a fact. Like one of the oldest Greek histories that we have written down from, I forget what it was, Thucydides, I think, I don't, doesn't matter. But he has a history written of the Peloponnesian War. And in that history, he writes about these horses eating from fields of grass where the blades of grass themselves turned into snakes. And so like the horses started eating the snakes out of the field and it became like a bad, we know that didn't happen. Yeah. So we, so when history, when we read some of these older texts, you just kind of take it with a grain of salt. You understand some of it's embellished and exaggerated and made up. Whoever won wrote it probably. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know, and so it's, and you just kind of, I had to try like a piece that, so we know there was a war. We know she did have a right. There was a rivalry here. We know that St. Olga was a real person. So she's not fake, but for many, like, and like from the time this was written, like the, the chronicle itself was written, um, which was written sometime, I think, during the Renaissance. I, if I remember correctly, I could be remembering wrong. But for from however long that was until the 1950s, uh, we largely thought the city burning through birds was just made up. Like that part was fake. It was not possible. Like that was just one of the historical embellishments of the time. Yeah. And it wasn't until uh, World War II that the United States Army, while it was engaging in its firebombing of Japan, was trying to test new ways to firebomb cities. <laughs> and so they, uh, the uh, U.S. military base, they set up a testing zone separate from the base, and they tied sulfur to the feet of bats. And they were just testing to see if this would work as like a method. It was unrelated completely to the story, to see if that'd be like a method that could be effectively used to burn a place down. I wonder why they chose bats. That just... I'm assuming like they were bats. trying to like pick a creature that was like, because they were trying to firebomb Tokyo. Uh, well, um, probably a night bombing. But they also they were trying to bomb Tokyo specifically. So I think they were trying to find something that they could like capture and do this to that would like affect Tokyo. Okay. Like if you, if you if you couldn't if it if you couldn't get access to it and it wasn't going to fly back to Tokyo, it wasn't any good for you. So I imagine the yeah. animal was probably pre picked for a tactical reason. Yeah. But I'm just assuming that I don't actually know. Yeah. But in it's any the, case, the blind leading the blind. Yeah. Yeah, because they're doing scientific studies they don't understand. So go ahead. No, but. uh it wound up being a tremendously like almost they, they didn't use it because it was too effective. Like it was too unpredictable. Like not only did they catch the whole testing zone on fire, but they accidentally set part of the actual base on fire. <laughs> that wasn't part of the testing. <laughs> zone. Oh, wow. <laughs> like, so they were like, Oh, okay. Maybe this is probably too volatile. <laughs> um, but like the thing was like, then the, so then historians later like looked at this world war two record. And then they remembered this, you know, old like Byzantine, you know, badass queen and they were like well there's no way that you would make something like that up <laughs> and then have it accidentally be true like that is yeah. just way too hyper yeah, specific or something so like so because of just how specific it was and because of how effective it is they were like no that actually probably did actually happen <laughs> like even though for how like 500 or 600 years we thought it was impossible they were like oh no that's actually something that like could have realistically taken place um and then, of course, um, after she burned all of her rightal facilities down and became like this regional, like uber queen, then she converted to Catholicism as one of the first Christian converts in the area. So the church canonized her. But, uh, <laughs> Not they, they to be figured, confused with cannibalized. Yes. Yeah, no, but, but you know, so like she, she'd obviously repented from her violent ways. But no, you, you typically don't read about like 
the saints that like massacred cities. You know what I mean? Like yeah. the, from the readings of Paul, and then <laughs> I killed all of them. So such an interesting story. It's I love that. Yeah, but no, I uh, I I, I do kind of like reading about military history and and you know yeah. tactics and stuff like that. Just in even when it's not funny, I find it interesting a lot of the times because. Yeah. In the car, I, I just pictured her at a table with all of her generals and just like, how did that go? You know, you have these these men that are not used to women leaders at all, and she's coming up with these ideas, and they're like, okay, what kind of an idea is this? Like, the, the birds. It's just like, what, what did they hear? And they're like, okay, this lady has no idea. She's off her rocker. And then she actually shows them. Like, how did that go down? Like, Here's a, a hay bale and a bird with some sulfur, and then like here we go. And they're like, oh, this this lady's kind of a badass. Like, <laughs> I think she has more stones than I do. <laughs> so so I don't know how the bird idea would have gone over amongst like a military council. I imagine even amongst them at that time, I do have sounded like bizarre. Yeah. Um, do you think they did messenger pigeons then? And that's kind of where it, like, we use them to deliver messages. Let's deliver this message. <laughs> I'm not certain it's possible. Um, yeah. what, so one thing that is important to keep in mind, though, is that um, back then military organization was very different. Um, you were the general just because you were a high-ranking noble. Like so, so okay. for so for example, she is the general. Yeah. So it's like if you so, and not only that, but no other general would have like if you're militarily qualified and you're military skilled at this time, it's almost halfway an accident. Like you're educated because like you were educated as a kid and like they threw only, you into a battle. Well, like, good luck. No, not even that. Because no. you nobles were too like valuable. Oh, I see nobles. Yeah, yeah. But like, so nobles were the only ones who were given like historical education about military. So like, mm. you know, it's not saying no one else ever had any intuitive military skill. But like, if you okay. want, like, let's say it's you know the year one thousand, and you want to raise an army, and you're the the king of you know wherever, what you do is you literally send a letter to all of your dukes and like your counts and your local people. And you're like, bring me an army. I need about a thousand people. Yeah. And so then though, th those people who are like dukes or counts or whatever, they don't have military training. Like they just own like a really large farm and like maybe a small castle. Yeah. And so they just like gather some farmers together and like the knights that serve as their bodyguards or whatever. And they're like, so I, like one Duke's like, okay, I got a hundred farmers and like 12 knights. And then one Duke's like, okay, I got a hundred farmers and 12 knights. And like when 10 of them get this guy with a slingshot. Yeah. And, <laughs> and, and so like, and then when 10 of them all get together with their like a hundred farmers and 12 knights, they show up to the King and like, okay, here's your army. Like and little then, mercenaries almost. That's, well, that's cool. well, not even necessarily mercenaries. It was just their, cause mercenaries you have to pay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, They're like, well, we don't want to lose our farm. So here's yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like you, uh, you've been given this farm to the King in an exchange and the King needs your service. You answer the call. Yeah. So like the that's King, cool. so like, it, it, I mean, it was, it actually made medieval and feudal states incredibly weak because there was no standing army. There was only an army when you raised one. And yeah. like the quality of the army was not, it was heavily, because none of the people recruited the army were soldiers. Yeah. They were landlords and farmers of various kinds, some of whom had some, but like, so the generals of such an army, <laughs> like the generals of her army just yeah. would have been like local land estate owners. They wouldn't have been like, military dudes yeah you know so like now i'm not saying there were never any military dudes back then some of them were very well read some of them had a natural aptitude some of them had fought in wars before 
But that's not how military, it wasn't like, oh, you fought in a war, therefore you get to be the secretary of defense. It was, you own a large farm and you owe me a hundred guys. So you're the secretary of defense. Like (laughs) I'm sure a lot of it's like word of mouth. Like, Hey, you remember, I don't know what a a name back then. Olga is a name, but yeah, a male name, but yeah, whatever it is. He's like, Hey, Johnny, remember Johnny in that last battle? He's kind of, he had that club that he fashioned. He was pretty good. He took out like eight people in like in a matter of minutes, like definitely get that guy. They're like recruiting like for a basketball team. Yeah. Like you remember that guy? He's real tall. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no. I'm sure. <laughs> like, I'm sure the. I'm sure the farmers were picked for their physical aptitude, whether they wanted to go or not. And then, yeah. the, the knights, like you're talking about, probably would be kind of your like bruiser types, you know? Because yeah. uh, also it was it was expensive to have that armor and weapons and equipment. For, so like, if you're one oh, of yeah. the if you're oh. one of the 100 farmers, no, you're getting like a spear and like a small wooden buckler and yeah. like that's the, the it. Top of a like a barrel yeah. used as a shield. Yeah, no, like you're not given like like whereas like if the blacksmiths have been working for 6 months to forge like a suit of plate armor, that's definitely not given to you. Like that's <laughs> given to someone who has a much higher station than you. It doesn't it doesn't matter if he's better at fighting or not, but you yeah. know. So like so some of that kind of stuff would be how that would go. You're so like, like you're an archer cuz you've been milking goats your whole life, so you have really strong hands. So yeah. here you go. Yeah. But, and then so the, then there, there would be cores of like mercenaries like you mentioned earlier um there were some professional bodyguard troops who were like you guys are going to be the designated soldiers usually for like a specific city not like a whole army but like your job is to keep like this city state for this emperor safe and so there were small groups of like professional troops that did get a high amount of renown but that was like rare and that was not how the bulk of armies were constructed so, so the few empires that existed from like ancient times to like, you know, the enlightenment or whatever that were all full-time professional soldiers, like trained from like youth into their adulthood and paid to be soldiers. That was rare. And if you were an empire that maintained such a system, like that almost guaranteed you a certain amount of military success by default, because like your like army of trained professional soldiers was just fighting this like rabble roused group of mostly agricultural workers yeah um you remember that movie 300 it's not Uh historically accurate please don't pretend it's historically accurate because it's not but then there's that that scene where the guy's like what is your profession what is your profession what is your and then the guy goes you know spartans what is your profession like there actually is truth to that dichotomy being real on ancient and medieval battlefields and so if you did belong to a society that had an army of soldiers that was a big deal it was rare and it gave you a big advantage wow um now sparta was different and it was weak because that literally was like the only profession that a male spartan citizen could have it wasn't like there were they're like who's cooking tonight like none of us know how to cook (laughs) <laughs> well, so so they had they had slaves that, you know, yeah. did everything else, but literally the slaves did everything else, including all of their architecture, like all of their engineering. Oh, like so they didn't you, have like military advanced weapons, no, like no, catapults. No, no. They're just like we we just have our knives. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. And like so Sparta <laughs> as a city did not have defensive walls. Yeah. It did not have like Athens, like several rivals had like walls that you imagine when you think of these things. Yeah. Athens also, you, you don't ever see or hear or know about like Sparta's big 
you know, like the Parthenon, you know, like all those old Greek ruins of the, like those fancy buildings. None of them are in Sparta. Sparta had zero of them because they had no architects. Like yeah. they just. <laughs> wow. Um, I never thought about that. Yeah. So like the, their, their society was actually very back. They had a very, very, very good army and literally nothing else. Um, <laughs> yeah. But they, uh, Spartan society was, it was, it's actually very equivalent to a beehive. It was very predictable. It ran on very repetitive notes where everyone, like, so in a beehive, when a bee is a born, it's a, you know, a larva for however long, and then it hatches into an adult bee. And like the adult bee just knows when I am born, I'm going to clean out the cell. I'm going to feed the other babies for a little bit. And then for like, I'm going to do that for one or two weeks. Then for one or two weeks, I'm going to guard the entrance to the hive and make sure no intruders get in. Like a chain of command kind of. Well, and for the the last week of my life, I'm going to go forage nectar. And they do this on purpose because if you're foraging nectar for the last week of your life, you're more likely to just die in transit. You won't die in the hive and your body won't need to be cleaned out. Oh, so it's, yeah. Like, (laughs) and and, and all bees do this by default regardless. Like, there's no one teaches them. It's just what they do. Yeah. And, like, society is very regimented that way. It's very systematic. And Spartan society was identical. If you're a Spartan male born in society, like you were a child until you were like age five to seven. And from five to seven, you just went to the military training academy. Like that's just what you did. You didn't learn any other craft. You learned no other thing. Yeah. And Here's then, a sword. Yeah. And then so sticker. You, you trained until you were about 16, 18, <sighs> something like that. Then you actually joined the army and you, and you were in the army fighting battles and wars until you were 30. Then if you lived to be 30, you became a member of the Spartan Senate. Um, and the Spartan Senate um, just advised the Spartan kings. They, didn't, they, they weren't, um, wasn't like actually, they, they didn't have a democracy. They didn't actually vote on things. So it wasn't like the movie. No, the Spartan yeah. Senate did not vote. The Spartan Senate advised the kings. And then whenever the kings died, they did vote on the new pair of kings. Are there ever any Olgas? Any women leaders? Um, no, so the women, it's kind of weird. The women had a higher societal status role back then um, than in many other ancient societies. It was a higher status, but it had exponentially less freedom um, mm-hmm. because that their status was required of them. Women didn't get to choose it. It's just like the men didn't get to choose. With an, like the, You just were a soldier, right? Yeah. So the women's job... Um, was to produce babies like it was everywhere else. But then the few other things that were important to Spartan society, like running the farms, like the women were all the landlords. Wow. Um, like in Athenian society, there were no women landlords. That was not a thing. Like that was not a role considered suitable to women. Yeah. Um, you know, in ancient Roman society, there weren't that many like wealthy women, like elites. But like in ancient Roman society, women could still pick like, do I want to become like a priestess in the Vestal Virgins? Or, you know, do I want, you know, like women could still choose what they wanted to do. Yeah. You have it, this it, list. Yeah. You know, your top three. Yeah. No, but with women's society, it, like that list is not very like glamorous, you know, like it, it's a list, but you, Cinderella, it, 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 you get to pick between a bunch of like low level to mid level sort of societal positions, but at least mm. you get to pick yeah. now in Sparta. You had a much higher level list of positions, but you didn't get to pick a damn thing. Yeah. Um, what, what, do you know when they were assigned as women? Like at the age of 14, you're like, okay, you're the, you're going to take care of all the babies. Well, okay. So I, I guess I, I should mention that this is a, a large part of the, the, the women thing. So Spartan society, um, 
had a thing that was very similar to the way Germany functioned for a very long time, um, mm. where you could only become a Spartan citizen if both your mom and your dad were Spartan citizens. Okay. Um, so they, they had no concept of you become an immigrant and cause if, cause if you become an immigrant, you're obviously one of your parents is not a citizen, which means you're not a citizen. And if you're not a citizen, your kids can't be citizens because a citizen has to can, can only be born from two pre-existing citizens, oh, wow. which heavily limited the population Yeah, and the population then. So like if, if, if the, if the males who are in the army, if they can all, if they all have to be citizens, then the size of your army is directly limited by the number of citizens that you have. Um, like, cause if you don't have, yeah. a, like, you just don't ha- like, if you run yep. out of citizens, you run out of army. So the women, it was very important for them to be very baby happy. Um, yes. <laughs> and so uh, men did get two years, um, between their military service and joining the army where it was their job basically to go home and have kids. And wow. in, Spartan society, because having kids was so important, um, it didn't necessarily have to be your wife. It didn't necessarily have to be consensual. Oh, like wow. it was, you know, hey, it's part of the job. Yeah. yeah. Um, wow. Now, now that being said, women's lives were very important because the women, like, even if you know, even if you just like took one, um, if you hurt her, you actually got severely punished for that. Like, so you 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 could like you could rape somebody, but you couldn't like kill rape. her. Oh, okay. In, in wow. like the in that attempt. Whereas the woman, because her life is more technically important than yours, she is absolutely allowed to kill you in self-defense. Oh, it was, it was kind of weird. It was kind of like, so you, you could attempt to take a woman, but like, if you were to make that attempt, you better like make 100% sure that you like could get away with it because she was allowed to stab you. And like, you were not (laughs) not. allowed. It's like growing up with a sister. Yeah. Like you can't hit her, but what? Well, she just hit me. Well, but she's your sister. So yeah. You can't do that. Yeah, so it, That's so, weird. So, so, so Spartan society was real kind of grimdark in that yeah. way. Um, but yeah, no, the women um, raised the babies. They, they ran the farms. Um, what little like pottery work or craft work that Sparta was going to do. The women were going to do that. Um, yeah. They managed, you know, men's estates, you know, when they were gone. Um, but they, the, because it was all males in the Senate and like the, when they elected new Kings, the Kings could only be pulled from the pool of senators. That was the only election that they had was the senators voted on the, who the two new Kings were going to be. Mm. And there wow. was a, there was always a domestic King at home and there was a King of the army and they knew that the King of the army could, and oftentimes did get themselves killed. <laughs> so that's why they always had a King at home. So they didn't just like wind up Kingless mid battle. Yeah. Like, Oh, there you go. Yeah. Um, did they usually assassinate their own or is that just, no, no, you're like, just it, talking about in battle. They were yeah, killed. Yeah. So yeah, then, yeah. No, like Leonidas was the King of Sparta and he died. And he died. Yeah. So then whoever in yeah. that movie, did they have a backup in the movie? They didn't, but in real Spartan society, yes, they, they did. Yeah. yeah. They, they would have had, they would have had two Kings at all times and they just elect whoever yeah. the, the, the second King is going to be. So it wouldn't have been as emotional if they're like, Oh, there you go. No, so Leonidas point. No, two, no, no, 2.0. That movie frustrates me because like the real story is actually Better. epic. Yeah. So it's like, why did they need to make stuff up? Like I, why? I heard that the the actual movie is the story they would tell the soldiers before they went into battle to, to like pump them up, get that adrenaline pumping and, and to almost a hype story to be like, you can do anything. No, it, it, or you'll it, die. It was, it was, it was really different than that. It was, was that? um, okay. So, it requires me to be a little bit more backdrop than um, 
I don't know how much time we have or how much tired you guys are getting of things, but no, like um, we'll keep going. No, so this um, uh, we can take water break if you need to. Though. No, no, I, I'm I'm okay. Or an uh, get rid of water break. <laughs> so I'll rewind even further back than I should, just because I, I find all this stuff interesting. And then if you guys get bored to tears at any point, just tell me to stop and I'll fast forward. But so um, there were. Um, obviously several Greek city states at the time, um, Athens and Sparta became two of the most prominent ones. And Athens had a problem with a tyrant King and Athens needed to get rid of their tyrant King. And they weren't quite sure how he had like entrenched himself in the palace um, Athens had the same thing where like only citizens could be in the army, but their citizens obviously could do plenty of other things like be philosophers and engineers. And so their citizen army was not as robust as Sparta's citizen army. And it was not full time on call like Sparta's army was. Yeah. So Athens was not sure how to get rid of their tyrant king. And so Athens contacted Sparta and they were like, <laughs> Like, will you send a party of your soldiers to, like, kick this guy out? Because we know your guys are here, available. They could do the job. We don't have to. Mercenaries. We, we don't have to assemble anyone. Yeah. Like, will you will you do this? And Sparta was like, yeah, sure. They sent <laughs> Send me all your birds. Yeah. <laughs> no, <laughs> as payment. <laughs> so, 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 so Sparta sent their um, people over to uh, get rid of this tyrant. Now, Spartans had only ever lived in a very Spartan lifestyle, very rustic, very primitive, no luxury, very little pay because they, just, they didn't have any of it. It was, it was not part like, like bartering and stuff. Yeah. They, they had gone through a very rigorous, you know, physical training. So these Spartans, yeah. this band of Spartans get sent to the Athenian palace to remove this Athenian tyrant. And it is like the most luxurious thing they have like ever seen. It is like <laughs> so opulent and so like mind blowingly awesome. And they also know that the Athenians are having people having trouble kicking people out of this building and lack the military skill to do so. So the Spartans deposed this king and then they just crashed there. Like it wasn't that the Spartans told them to do this. It wasn't that the Spartan kings didn't decide. It was just this band of dudes, just dude bros show We're up at like the coolest, <laughs> yeah, just show up at the coolest frat house of all time. They're just like, nah, dude, this is too good. We are not going back to like rural McFarm Hickville <laughs> to like just live out another physical grueling, you know, 10 years. And go like, back to, to war and probably die. Yeah, like, we are going to, we are totally going to hang out here and eat grapes. And we just know we are so badass that you cannot remove us. Wow. How many people was it? That... It, it was like, I, I don't know exactly, but I, it, it's somewhere in the dozens. This was not dozens. like, you know, this is, this yeah. like, you know, it was like they, they hunkered down. Down, they secured the building and they're like give us all your wine and we're in charge now wow it's like a reverse um one of those movies where they they bunker down in a in a, a bank they're yeah like, all right give me pizza yeah. they literally just in the middle of their city <laughs> all right <laughs> so athens had quite a conundrum at this point because they were like we need to kick these people out now and we can't ask the spartans to do it <laughs> like, <laughs> like who's gonna like who's gonna I, Darn it. So they were like considering their options. It's like a real estate heist. Yeah. So they were like, like okay, <laughs> we're who, living here now. Like who can we ask that would actually have a chance of kicking the Spartans out? And they thought about it for a bit. And, um, just a little hop across the Aegean sea at this time was the Persian empire. 
which was the largest empire that had ever existed previously to this point ever. It had a standing army of about 2 million soldiers. It wow. encompassed 40% of the world's population, which so, is the largest percentage of world population a single nation has ever held. Wow. So um, the, it was accurate in the movie with the Persians. Well, Except no. there was more. No, there was, the, the army was actually way smaller. But Okay, so... The army was the size of the whole... Yeah, yeah, the whole whole Persian army. They're not going to send the whole army over to invade just Greece. Like, they need to do other things. Yeah. But so they, they, um, they contacted Persia, and they were like, can you come kick the Spartans out, please? And so they did this whole, like... I don't know if there was a genuine misunderstanding or a miscommunication in languages or traditions, or maybe it was just meant to be a deception the whole time. But they went through this ritual of offering Persia... Uh, earth and water when they made the agreement and that the earth and water agreement in Persian society meant that you agreed to become a client state of theirs. Like one of those states that pays Persia taxes, just like these lower states that paid Kiev taxes to not die. Yeah. So, so Athens technically entered into this agreement as far as Persia was concerned, whether Athens was aware of this and just didn't know it. Like, you know, maybe they didn't know, maybe they did know and didn't plan on paying the taxes. In either case, they they agreed to become a Persian client state um, in exchange for Persia kicking out the Spartans. Now, in the time that it took for Persia to, like, mobilize a band to come over and do this for them, the the Athenian citizenry on their own got together and kicked the Spartans out because they just got frustrated with waiting They did heavily outnumber the Spartans. They did have their own army when they chose to assemble it of about 10,000 men. It just wasn't permanently assembled at all times like the Spartan army was. Um, And that's what the whole thing, if you don't have a permanent standing army, it is a weakness. Yeah. But so the, the, the Athenians kicked the Spartans out on their own and never paid Persia any taxes. And Mm -hmm. so Persia was, took this as a heavy slight. And so Persia's like, no, you're our, client state now you're gonna have to like behave like a client state yeah and athens was like no nah, not gonna can't make this. <laughs> it's um, like a mafia standoff um <laughs> and so persia sent an army of about thirty thousand people to invade athens um a very small portion of its overall standing army i think they dramatically underestimated the effectiveness of a greek phalanx like in a row with the heavy armor like persians were used to fighting in the desert a lot of light armor, a lot of open fields for cavalry maneuvers. Greece is heavily mountainous. It's a lot of choke points. It's much cooler, so you can wear heavier plate. Yeah. Um, the 30,000 people did fight the fully assembled 10,000 group of the Athenian forces, but they fought them in a choke, and the Athenians won. Persia was not used to losing especially the people they consider to be minor backwaters and they wanted to maintain, you know, Athenian client state status. So they got, it it took them about a generation, but they remembered it. They held a grudge and they were like, we're not going to like have this be on record that some like pissant, you know, like across (laughs) the globe, like beat the largest standing empire in the world. So they decided to beat the A team. Yeah. Yeah. So so it, it, it took them about a generation Wow. But they assembled a 300,000-man army. 300,000? Yeah, wow. it, it was the largest army that had ever been assembled at one point in history. They, yeah. they took a fleet of decommissioned ships and sprung them together in a bridge to connect, like, where Turkey is across to where, I guess what you would call it, um, Belarus is. Yeah. Like, you know, like 
where Constantinople is now, they built a bridge of decommissioned ships and had their armies walk across. It's not not a relational norm of building bridges. Yeah, no, no, it was just, we're <laughs> going to destroy you with this bridge. No, they they, <laughs> they they were absolutely showing off. They were flexing their muscles. They were perfectly capable of demolishing Athens with the force of that size. But it was so expensive to raise. They're like, we are not going to send like the largest army that had ever been assembled on an ego trip to literally conquer the city state of Athens. <laughs> and then just like, you know, and then just like, you know, like that would just like that. So what they did was in advance of this invasion, it's just for Athens, um, Athens only. They were like, send out a bunch of emissaries to the, all the other Greek city states. They're like, we're, we're here. We are coming here with a giant army. You're all going to be client states. You might as well just accept it and move on that way. It's like for us, it's like worth the trip because otherwise it's not. Yeah. And so they went to all the city States and they made this threat and Sparta did famously kick their emissaries into a well. And they're like, you want your earth and water? You'll find plenty of both down down there. Like that was, that was actually a thing that did (laughs) happen. Like Sparta was like, no, we, we like Sparta was very arrogant and they were very cocky about the quality of their military. So they were like, which they had right to. Yeah. So they were like, no, we're not agreeing to this client state thing. Do whatever you want with Athens, but when you get to us, eh, nah. Well, so (laughs) now as grandiose and as like bravado-ish as Sparta was, Sparta like, knew they might not be able to fight like the entirety of the Persian empire by themselves. So Sparta sent their own emissaries to the other Greek city states. And they were like, so you guys don't want to be client states, huh? Neither do we. Why don't we form like a Greek mega army? Like it never had existed before. Like they normally they fought each other. Like they're, they're primarily their own enemies. They were like, it's like you guys, they said they, the, if they formed a Greek mega army, it, it had to answer to a Spartan commander. Um, there would be no army if Sparta was not in charge. Wow. Um, but if all the Greek city states agreed to have a Spartan commander of, as the commander of the joint army, they could form like this coalition that could actually fight the Persians. And most of the Greeks agreed to this. Not all of them, but most of them were like, actually, hell yeah, this <laughs> sounds like yeah. a sweet deal. <laughs> um, Hades, yeah. But they also knew it was going to take time um for this to get put together like it's one thing to say let's do this it's another thing to like get everyone together in a row um and so they knew they needed time to get this joint army like assembled and it was time they didn't have like the persians were already mobilizing they were already on the way and so they were like okay in a hurry like what can we do right now um And so they assembled a little mini army. It was a mini coalition of multiple Greek city states. It had about 5,000 people in it. Um, And that 5,000 people was sent to stop the 300,000 Persians from like making just a massive steam wall of progress really quickly (laughs) to give the, the Greeks time to assemble this mega army that they talked about. Like they thought they could maybe get maybe about 50,000 people together in an army, but they needed, they needed the 5,000 to buy them time to do this. Um, out of the 5,000, um, mini army that was assembled, only about 300 were Spartans but it was 5,000 people who showed up to Thermopylae, not 300. <laughs> um, and so, but that was where the, how the battle started was the, the hell of a battle. Yeah. Well, so, a hell of a battle. And, and it was okay. 
it was two front battle. It was not a single front battle. Um, okay. The the second front of the battle was actually fought by one of the most ingenious military bastards of all time. Besides Olga. <laughs> no, no, no. Okay, so so Olga was just a bastard. This guy was a genius bastard. Genius a, bastard. <laughs> he was maybe a little bit less bastardy, but he was way more geniusy. He was um the admiral uh, Themistocles of Athens. Themistocles. He, yeah, Themistocles. Sounds mystical. No, he, Themistocles. He, he, he was a slimy politician, if there ever was one, but he knew how to manipulate people. Um, and he knew before any of this even went down that there was brewing tensions between Persia and Athens, and that if a war ever were to come up, that Athens was woefully unprepared. Now, because they were like, they had other colonial disputes and things like this that were coming up. Now, um, the... Athenians did, were not willing to put in the money to develop the military force that Themistocles believed would be required. Mm. So Themistocles made up, like invented out of his ass, these hyper-violent <laughs> people that lived on an island who sought Athens's destruction. Wow. And he told the Athenian like assembled Congress that like he needed a very large Navy to go fight these people. And so they approved a budget of like 200 ships. Like he, he managed to get the, like he, he, he did all this fear mongering and like lying and all this, like we need to get this massive army so that we can, you know, go make sure we defeat these people before they defeat us. I know we can do it. They're small and puny. Propaganda. We just, yeah. yeah. And so <laughs> they gave him the money. They built him the ships and then they wow. found out there was nobody to fight. Like, and they didn't want to, like, they're like, like, huh, like they, they, they didn't, they didn't really like him that much at that point, of course, but like, um, Got him. but he, but he had the 200 ships. Like they, they weren't going to burn the ships down. Like yeah, they just like, now. Yeah, yeah. So they, so they just oh, had sure. him. So Persia, they knew because they had already lost to the Athenians in a mountainous choke point battle. They knew this, what the, this, what the Greeks were going to try to do. Like the Persians weren't stupid. They, they sent the, like the bulk of their army down the mountainside. They knew this, like these 5,000 Greeks were going to block it. Then the plan was to keep another chunk of their army on ships and land them behind the Greeks and get them surrounded. Okay. So Themistocles with his new 200 ship Navy, his job was to stop the Persian Navy from landing. Huh. Um, and so on the like first day, he did this whole thing where, where back then like they didn't have cell phones. So naval, lots of battles, not just naval battles, but especially naval battles were communicated by colored flags. Yeah. Like somebody would sit in like a high tower and be like the color guard. And yeah. that would like tell people like what they needed to do because that's how otherwise it was just a giant disorganized like clusterfuck. So like you yeah. needed, you needed your flag waivers to be able to, to communicate, to send signals. They could also use horns, but horns were a little bit less or drums, but that's better on ground than it is on like sh spread out ships. And so Themistocles on the day, the first day, uh, well, there was one day that both fleets were heavily damaged by a storm. And there, there's a small little snippet of that referenced in the movie, but the movie doesn't explain what's going on. No. Um, then the, the first day of like actual combat, um, Themistocles deliberately ran up, like, let's say like the sun set at like 520 back then. Uh -huh. He deliberately attacked them at like 459. And so like 
it, like by the time the Persians knew they were being attacked and got their fleet organized, it was dark out and no one could see there's flags. So they both just agreed to retreat. So like he got like a bunch of Persian ships sunk and like all this stuff. By the time they were like ready to defend themselves, like they were like, nobody like, could even fight. So they like had to go back. assembled. Yeah. And then so, so this was all going on, on in the ocean while the Greeks are fighting in the pass. Um, and like, so the first day, again, they do this whole interlocking phalanx thing. They, they wore armor. Like one of their advantages was their heavy armor. Their advantages was not their abs. Okay. They were not, <laughs> not that kind of armor. Yeah, no. Like they had, they, they had giant brass shields. They did have spears. They had them interlocking and they had armor and like your shield was big enough that it covered you and it covered part of the guy next to you. So it's like trying to attack into a giant porcupine. Huh. And so this porcupine just stood in the pass. They also did not break formation to like tackle rhinos and like do a bunch of stunts so you could see their abs as they moved. Like that would def- completely would defeat the point and would have given <laughs> the Persians like the major advantage. So they, they, they stuck in tight and they, uh, so wall metal wall. Yeah. And like, so in the, in the Spartans did have the red capes to distinguish themselves in the metal wall. They produced, they, they liked to be front and center rather than just mass in the back that was pushing. So they, they, they liked showing off and they did intimidate the Persians greatly. Um, the Persians were trying to find other little like mountain passes to try and get around them because the Navy thing wasn't working out because the mystically was just giving them hell. Um, they, <laughs> they, 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 yeah, they were like trying to like land their Navy and they couldn't. So then they were like stuck in this, like, no, oh, it can't be not, not this again. <laughs> like they, they lost like 10,000 men in a day, like getting killed by this like Spartan phalanx in the mountain pass. So the, the five that was the joint, you know, phalanx anyway. Yeah. And they were like, we can't like, no, we can't no. <laughs> the, the, the Navy thing wasn't working out. So they're like Themistocles. It sounds like he had like a cheat code for risk. Yeah. You know, yeah. he's just like, Oh, I just got 20 ships out of nowhere. Like, yeah. where's this cheat code? Oh no, you got 200. Ships. Oh, no, there's 200. Right. Yeah. No, it, oh, okay. it was something crazy. Wow. So, um, they started sending out scouts. They're, we got to find a different way around. Like we still want to do this surround thing, but we, um, so they did have Spartans who were guarding the pass now, the Spartans who were guarding the pass were not aware of how well the battle was going down below. So when the it was un, it was unfortunate because when the Spartans got located by the Persian scouts, the Spartans were heavily outnumbered and they were actually kind of afraid. But the Persians saw Spartans with red capes and they were also, they were like, no, not more of those guys. Like not more <laughs> no. of them. That's where superheroes came in. Yeah. Like red capes. Um, there's another military red cape store I can get to in a, in a minute, but it's, um, <laughs> but so they, the, the Persians, red flags. The, the Persians refused to close the distance on these Spartans in melee. Like they would only shoot arrows at them. They were like, we're not even going to get close <laughs> enough to those guys. But like the air, <laughs> The arrows were not meant for piercing heavy armor. So like you could just, yeah, or or you get stuck in, but it wouldn't hurt you, you know, that kind of thing. So it actually took a little while for Persians to even secure a pass, even though they absolutely could. They were just too scared because they'd gotten their ass kicked for so long that they, um, and they even on, on the second day of fighting, they did send like their version of like the heaviest elite psychological shock troops that they had available. Um, they did call them the immortals. They, they were trained to fight very silent as silently as they could. 
Okay. And they were also trained to fight in waves. And then they wore these masks that occluded their faces or they wore veils, if not masks, like black cloth. Make them seem more like mystical or like creature. Yeah, yeah, yes. No, so what they did is that they, they would try to have the same number of immortals applied to a fight at all times. So if you were fighting them, it psychologically tricked you into thinking you weren't making any progress because even wow. if you were killing a few, like, it these looked guys like, just keep coming. Yeah. And they, and they keep yeah. coming back or like they were unnatural or always like fighting like a self-resurrecting demon. Yeah. Um, like it actually was like kind respawns. of an effective, creepy oh, thing. Keep respawning. Except yeah. um, all like this tactic didn't work because literally all of them that they sent got killed by this phalanx in the past. They ran out. Like they, oh, wow. like they, they sent them in waves and then, all of them and all the waves got killed. Like, oh, okay. No, no, you can't. Yeah, no. That, all right. <laughs> 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 um, oh my god. the person. So like the person's like, I don't. We don't know. Like, if we don't find a way around this, it's going to be the second most embarrassing thing. That's like the twenty thousand Persian dead, a bottlenecked fleet. Um, and so the we don't know if they just organically found a way or they put the archers did push people off a pass or if there was just a Spartan defector or a traitor, it wasn't a, it wasn't a hunchback. It wasn't something like that. Yeah. But, but either way, the Persians did find a pass. They did get a force around the other side. Mm. And at that point, uh, the Greeks became aware of this. They knew they were in the process of being surrounded. Um, so two things happened. Number one, Themistocles, because he is just kind of a smarmy jackass, was like, my whole point of stopping this fleet from landing was to make sure that the Spartans and them didn't get surrounded. Since they are already surrounded, there is literally no point to me being here. And he went home. Like he'd been doing, he did a really good job. He had been winning the whole time. You're welcome but for it, the ships. I'm out of here. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, as soon as he found out the Spartans were surrounded, he pulled back the entire fleet and just left. He bounced. Um, <laughs> and so the, the rest of the, as per- you do. Yeah. So like the rest of the Persian Navy was then simultaneously allowed to land. And this is on the third day. And so <laughs> on the, so after the rest of the Persian army lands, the rest of the Greeks are like, okay, we are surrounded. We are so screwed. We have actually bought an impressive amount of time and we've put like a decent dent in there. Like we've, we've, you know, we've probably knocked out about 10% of their army. Like, you know, good job. Pat on the back. We're going home now. Like, yeah. you know, we can, <laughs> we can go participate. Long-term in, investment. Yeah. As long as this war keeps on going, we, you know, we can get out. We should get out. We've done a good job. Let's get out. Huh. So the 5,000 Greeks go home. But the 300 Spartans were like, nah, we got this. They were like, no, we, we actually like, come on. Like, why not? Like, we've been doing this whole like. This is what it's all been building up to. Yeah, no, it's like, you know, work. if we've been doing so well this whole time and taking so few casualties, like, why not? Just con- like, I have no hobbies to go back to. Yeah. All I do is war. <laughs> yeah. so. Like, so, the, you know, the never give up. So, like, that's what. I, I actually think the story gets more dramatic if you actually like, I don't know why they like wanted to pretend in the movie that it was just 300, 300 Spartans because I think it's actually more impressive when it's not 300 the whole time, 90% of your army goes home and then the rest of them are still choose like, to stay through it. Yeah. Let's go. And so they, they did. And the Persians, um, tried to break into their lines when they tried to break into their lines, they killed Leonidas in melee. 
Um, they actually okay. killed him in a fight. So Gerard Butler is dead at this point. Um, uh-huh. And then they take his body back to their camp because they want to do it as a trophy. You know, they, 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 I don't know what they want to do if they want to desecrate it. I'm not entirely sure if they wanted to set an example of him, mm. but they, they had the body of the king of this army that had dared to defy them and they were going to do something with it. Cause that's all they have at this point. <laughs> yeah. And so the, the intimidation also, and the, the remaining Spartans who had not been killed in this melee were so not okay with this that the remaining, I don't know how many there were, but whatever was left of the 300 Spartans after this melee charged the Persian camp. They didn't brace themselves anymore. They okay. weren't waiting. They like ran at them. They were like, oh, you have 300,000 guys? Like, come on. <laughs> they beat them out of their camp, resecured the body, drove them away, and what? formed a defensive position around it. <laughs> Oh like they gosh. were like <laughs> intimidation. Yeah, doesn't no, it. they they were like actually like these people like they had been trained like so Greeks had been trained to fight in phalanxes for hundreds of years. Yeah, but Spartans in particular had been trained uh, like one of the special Spartan military skills was this idea of going to a dead sprint and then rapidly reforming your phalanx because you you can't get caught out in loose combat and have the phalanx work anymore like individual one on that yeah well not only that but like the whole idea it has to work in formation okay so like if you get caught out in an individual one-on-one duel with somebody you've already lost because your formation has lost its cohesion okay and so one of the tactical disadvantages of phalanxes that caused phalanxes to be defeated by other types of military forces, such as Roman legions was it was too tactically inflexible. It couldn't move like it's a single slow moving bulky mass. Yeah. Um, and so if you can kind of pick it apart from multiple directions, or if you can like branch off or if you can do other more tactically flexible things, find out the weak point. Yeah. Then you can just adjust and, right. and save yourself. Yeah. So one thing that huh. Spartans could do that, other phalanxes could not and the other phalanxes continued to struggle to do was they did this whole thing where it's like our phalanx is currently here we need it to be here we are going to break formation we're going to do a dead sprint we're going to get to where we want to reform and then we're going to reform so we're going to like look vulnerable for a hundred yards and then it's going to be fuck you again (laughs) (laughs) so um and they were like really good at this because everyone had to be able to run at the same speed you had to have a good coordination of where you wanted to go and where you wanted to reset up but they basically did one of these where they like charged at them and then did this reform and the the 100 yard sprint actually made sense yeah (laughs) but but then they they did the reform in the middle of the persian camp and the persians didn't know what to do about it like they weren't expecting it and they they clearly we've never done that yeah well and they clearly cool move well, they didn't know how to fight these kinds of formations. So they had to like abandon their camp and like let the Spartans keep the body. And they didn't want to, they didn't want to engage them in melee again. Cause they were like, well, I, I, it's being in melee with these guys just really, really sucks. <laughs> like it just, <laughs> yeah. like it's, it's the literal worst. Um, <laughs> like they, uh, so at the same point in time, the Spartans were equally screwed at this point because now they were, now they're in the middle of the Persian camp they can't leave. They can't go anywhere. Like there's that. This that's the epitome of there's no going home at this point. No turning back. Yeah. So um, at that point, after this happened, 
that's when the Persians decided to rain down arrows until they were all dead. Like they mm. just like, oh, we know it's going to take a while. It's going to take a ton of arrows because they have heavy armor. But like we, we, we have more arrows than they do. So just fine. Just yeah. And, and they did eventually kill them all. Um, that's what I was thinking about earlier when you were mentioning the arrows. I was like production arrow production yeah like what would that look like because they didn't have factories where they could just make ammunition like nowadays or even in the world wars like i mean they, they had to like who who's making the arrows like the women and the, the kids like well i mean i'm sure that so many other societies did have blacksmiths and like weaponsmiths yeah. and so they're like the all metal arrows no no no, no. they would have been just heavily the wood and then just the tip would have been a stone or a metal yeah. piece it's like what do you do when you run out of arrows you can't just like all right, go to the supply truck. So maybe they had huge supplies. Do they just constantly make arrows year round? Like, well, I mean, they would have had a very, very large number, but yeah. also in ancient times, they also, one of the primary, I'm sure you've heard the story of David and Goliath, right? Yeah. He didn't throw a rock at him with his fist. Yeah. He, uh, he put the rock in a sling. Slingers were a real military unit back then. It was something they actually would have whole formations of people with slings. They yeah. put a rock in and you hurl it. Yeah. And that like people would have um, little pouches, pouches of smooth pebbles. Oh yeah. And like, so okay. in a, in a pinch, so a, you had tons of arrows, but B, if you ran out of arrows, Sling. you you could, you could do something like that. Huh. Um, Sling blade. Yeah. But so the, the, the Spartans were killed. The movie would have ended, but like, the, like that kind of stuff, that's already cool. You don't need to add like glowing elephants and sparkly rhinoceroses and a bunch of like ab flexing to make that cool. <laughs> uh, like, yeah, the, the weird deformed guy. Yeah. Well, not only like that, but I mean, just having them fight shirtless and I don't know. So I, to me, that movie annoyed me because it's like, I know the true story and the true story is still fucking awesome. <laughs> <laughs> that so bothers me. Yeah. It's like, I don't, you don't need to embed. Like I understand if it was three days of a conference and people like, you know, negotiating like on a hill, then on the third day, maybe there was a brief scuffle and 20 people got killed. And maybe that was the historical factual record that we had. And they were like, okay, well that would make a dull movie. How do we color that up? Expand on this. Yeah. Yeah. Like that's fine. But if the real story is what I just went into, why do you need to alter a damn thing? (laughs) (laughs) So like, so that movie actually irritated me because not because yeah. it wasn't a good movie. Like it was entertaining for what it was. I enjoyed it. I think a lot of people enjoyed it, but for me, it was like, yeah. I think the true story in that case would have worked like just as good. It would have been just as amazing. I, I, well, no, why? Yeah. Evil. That's why I want to make evil. <laughs> That's why I want to make an Olga movie. Like yeah. you don't have to change a thing about that. And you could even have like the plot twist is like, Oh, she's not done being a badass bitch yet. Yeah. Like, she, you thought she was done when she buried those people alive. Well, I think it'd be uh, an easy movie to set up where you cast like a younger, up and coming actress as her, yeah. and don't give her a lot of dialogue in the opening third of the movie. And you're like, and then you cast no like someone you, you cast like someone famous, you know, like Brian Cranston or whatever, to be the king who gets yeah. like killed. And so you you think the movie is about the king, and you and then, do think she's just a ditz, and it's like the same uh, plot twist that like the lesser city states got would be the same plot twist. The audience could get because the yeah. audience wouldn't be familiar enough She'll with the story coming. to know that that's what's going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. It's not a uh, very well, like it's not popular. Yeah. Like you hear about all these, like the Trojan horse I was thinking about. No. I was like, you hear about it all the time, but this is, seems more badass or just more of a strategy. 
Well, no, so we, like, unfortunately, uh, just in general in history, we focus way too much. Now, I don't want to say way too much because some of it is interesting. We focus way too much on like our ancestors, as in the ancestors of the people who influenced and formed the European states. Yeah. Sorry. You're good. <coughs> that later colonized, you know, America. So that's Greeks and Romans. England, France, Holy Roman Empire, that kind of stuff. Yeah. You don't learn about Olga because that's the foundations of Russia. Like Kiev is in currently the modern day capital of Ukraine was part of the Soviet Union. The like the Byzantine Empire and the Eastern Orthodoxy and the city state of Moscow and like the Mongols and like the Turks and the areas that influence that region. You do learn about if you study Soviet history. Right. But you're not going to like if you're taking history class in Russia. I imagine you would learn about her, but they, yeah. we like, we only seem to want to learn about the people who influenced the cultures that influenced us. And I think that's somewhat unfortunate because it's like, those aren't the only people who existed and those aren't the only things that like happened, you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I love hearing these cause I, I never heard any of these stories in history in school or anything. So they're very fresh to me. Yeah, I think it's really interesting cause I, I had actually quite a few history classes and it was one of my favorite subjects, but like, it, I think it very much leaned and focused on like the like kind of like Christian religious mm-hmm. history, like the Crusades and the stuff that just you know went in the Renaissance and all the stuff that fell in there, and didn't was less focused on like yeah. <laughs> I, I feel I feel like it's whatever those people were comfortable with or, or had enough knowledge about, so it just gets repeated, kind of like the campfire um, type society where you just tell the stories you learned when you were growing up. Yeah. Well, and so one thing that kind of bothers me about history education in general is even if you are learning about the Crusades and the Founding Fathers and stuff like that, which I have also studied and I do also find interesting, but all you learn in those classes, name, date, event, name, name date, date, event, event. Yep. name, timeline. date, event, put the timeline together, do the cross match, you know, A, B, C, and that's... Yeah really boring boring. like that's that's a terrible way to i'm not even good at that kind of history yeah like i i I can't tell you the exact year that the battle of thermopylae happened like i generally know about it i understand why it's important and i kind of know the movement of events i i couldn't i to this day i could not name you the exact year yeah like and so when when people spend so much time i'm not saying information yeah just like um, I, I'm not even saying that like those years are not important. I, I think it should be treated a lot more like we treat hard science or math where you learn about the general principles of uh, this guy pulled up now 480, <laughs> 480 BC battle of Thermopylae. Um, so yeah, talking about 2,500 years ago, more or less, wow. but, um, yeah, I, I love the stories cause yeah. I wish I wish history teachers would just tell more stories yeah. than information. Like, well, and if you, you could tell me when Olga was born and died, and that she reigned for this long, but like, no one cares. Well, no one cares about. Yeah, that. and so like that's the thing is that like so math you learn about the general principles, science you learn about the general principles, and like the idea is you're supposed to know what gravity is, and you know that gravity works, and that's what you come out of class with. Then if you are super invested in gravity. 
then you can go take extra courses and learn about the exact speed that gravity does this and all the formulas. And you can calculate the area under gravity's bell curve to your heart's content. But that's not like the default learning. And in history, we do the reverse. We're like, well, here's all the nitty gritty details and we'll leave out all everything that makes it relevant or engaging or or creative. Like, yeah, as soon as you told this story in the car, I was like, I want to make this movie like people need yeah. to see this movie like it's entertaining. Yeah. And like so informational. I, I think like people who actually know the hard dates and everything like you should you should know a general timeline of like first or last like you shouldn't be confused. But who came first Thomas Jefferson or Leonidas but like <laughs> but in terms of like the hard dates and like that kind of stuff I think that should be more cursory knowledge for introductory learners and then only really hammered home for the people who choose to pursue it in a more detailed manner. Yeah. And And so they always tell you that history, we learn history so we don't repeat its mistakes. Yeah. But that involves like the stories. Like you don't want to repeat what they did, not the time or the the time frame, the the graph, the Yeah. It's it's so annoying. We're not we're not in danger of repeating the year four AD BC. Yes, exactly. (laughs) It's the battle. Yes. (laughs) We're not gonna reverse time to get there. Yeah. (laughs) Sulfur birds. That's what we're worried Uh, about. Yeah. Um, I I don't know if um I understand it's probably useless for the podcast, but if you uh Google uh Saint Olga of Kiev, uh some of it will be and then go to images. So some of it is like, you know, standard art oh, wow. that you would kind of expect. Looks angry. But but uh go back one. Oh, here we are. This one right here on the uh, far right. Out. Yeah, nope, bottom down one. down one. No, there you go. Full screen that Oh, there's one. the bell. Yeah, that wow. one is the one that I like now she didn't look like that. It's like That's an ob- anime character. Like, right. Like that one's obviously like Flaming like, Bird Lady like an artist, an artist's rendition. But like, that's how I always picture her in my head because <laughs> yeah. that's like, yeah. Send in the birds. <laughs> um, that's, that's what it meant, flipping the birds. They, yeah. they, they sent them to, to them or to her and then she flipped them on her. She's flipped the bird. Wow. Yeah, that's, that's an intimidating photo. We'll have but, to put that on the, like one of the slideshows or something. But as you can see, she actually has a statue. Like, yeah, I don't know. That's got to be that's got to be in Russia or Ukraine. Like that, that can't be like. But so like she's famous enough to have a statue, just not in the U.S. It's funny when you think of saint, you just think of like a peaceful. Yeah. Uh, someone that made change in the world, but it was very peaceful. But you, you like, oh, you, you remind me of, hmm, Saint Olga. You ever read about Saint Olga? Oh, good, good. I'm, I'm glad you don't know about her. But that's what you remind me of. You're just a huge bitch that kills people. She, uh, yeah, so I would love to, because I want to get involved in writing. I was, I was looking, like, trying to figure out where this like, statue was, but it's, it's in Kiev. <laughs> Kiev. Uh, yeah, 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 Kiev's in Ukraine, yeah. so yeah, I mean, I guess that makes sense. I guess that, that makes sense where it would be, it wouldn't be yeah. <laughs> somewhere yeah. else. That's pretty cool. I want to wrap this back around to our two topics of fear. So one, one thing I thought of is like, in the um, Spartan culture, you're just used to war. Like it's just, it's what you're born and bred for. And then, but in the other, other cultures, like it, it's just kind of like, Oh, I'm a soldier now. Yeah. Like, I, I, wait, I was just picking, you know, some kind of fruit or oh, I was gathering and now I'm a, I'm a hunter of man. Like the fear factor there has to play a huge role. Like these, these guys, the Spartans are like, 
oh, I cannot wait to get into battle. Like, this is what I've been born for, and I, my whole life has been adding up to this moment right here. And then the other guy's like, oh, I miss my mom, you know? Like, yeah. I don't know. Like, they're probably more rough than we are now, but at the same time, based on fear, like, uh, man, that ratio has got to be super dramatic for, for someone walking in like, oh, has a sheep herder and um. Oh, for sure. I, I, I think the, like the intimidation factor alone, I think did, um, help the efficacy of the Spartan army. Like people were afraid of Spartans because they knew the reputation. Yeah. Now, now Spartans themselves were not as in, like there were examples of Spartans fleeing or Spartans also being afraid to engage or Spartans surrendering. Like these are things that did happen. Yeah. Um, probably not as often as they happened to other people, but it's like the, the Spartans weren't machines but they definitely carried a reputation of being machines that did, that did aid them, you know, and, yeah. and, and also in terms of like default psychological training, uh, they did have the Olympics, you know, with all the different Greek city states, for example, yeah. and the Spartans were straight up not allowed to compete in certain Olympic events wow. because um, they had been trained to compete. Like it wasn't just a game to them, like everything, life. everything was a preparation for war. Wow. So in particular, um, Spartans were not allowed to engage in wrestling. Because <laughs> they'd kill people. Well, not like, even, not even, because they, they wouldn't kill people in their real wrestling matches. But like, because wrestling was training for a real fight, wrestling was not a game. Their version oh. of wrestling did not have rules. This is a hobby. Yeah, like, this is, like wrestling is to win. It's you not might, to like, not... walk away with one testicle or missing an eye or something. Yeah, like no, that. The Spartans would yeah, uh, uh, like a disproportionately high amount of times like bite people or gouge their eyes out because yeah. you weren't you weren't wrestling for honor. You were wrestling to win or to not die. Yeah, like, exactly. <laughs> and, and that was the purpose of wrestling. It's like we are teaching you wrestling not as a sport. But if to a, if a melee devolves in this point, you need to be able to handle yourself in this way. And yeah. then when the Olympics would come around and they tried it a couple of times, it's like, okay, um, Let's you're, get <laughs> you're, like, you're, you're wrestling, but like, you know, it's not actually as intense. So don't, but if you've been trained to wrestle and like stick your thumb into the other guy's eye for like 15 years. And those are your, like your, your family or your brothers you're training with, like your best friend. Like, yeah. And so, can you imagine Marines now? Like they, they yell in your face and they're all tough and stuff. But like, imagine the, 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 what are those called? Those guys that yell at you. The drill sergeants. Drill, imagine a Spartan drill sergeant. I'll, I'll get to that in just a second. Yeah, but yeah, I know. But yeah, no. So the, the, um, the, uh, so for, as I, as, as only needed to happen a couple times before the other city states agreed, like, yeah, no, no Spartans could wrestle because like that, <laughs> that switch is so hard to turn off. Even, even at the Olympics, the Spartans in an ideal world wanted to turn it off. Yeah. You're they a just, born killer though. Yeah. They just, yeah, they couldn't, it was too reflexive. And it's like, yeah. the, and, and for Athenians, they weren't wrestling to like practice melee post phalanx collapse. They were like wrestling for the integrity of the sport. Yeah. Or entertainment yeah. for the, the rule yeah. or something. Eating grapes. Yeah. So it was, uh, it was I lost my appetite when you'd gouge that guy's eye out. Never again. <laughs> Until next, you know, but 10 years. So one of the, uh, one of the final training rituals that Spartans had to go through, um, in order to, um, uh, graduate, if you will, was a survival course where they kicked you outside of a Spartan military camp. And your job was to sneak back in 
And like, if they caught you trying to sneak back in, they would like severely beat you. And then they would like kick you back out. Like you gotta have a good strategy or yeah, yeah. ass kicked. Yeah, no, it was actually like very dangerous. And so wow. like there, there was a, there's an anecdote. This is one of those ones. We're not sure if it's true, but we have no reason to believe it wouldn't be Yeah, of like this guy who um, was trying to sneak back in um, with a uh, fox that he had caught for food. And he didn't want people to know that he had captured the fox. And this is like a young Spartan boy. Um, and so he, he hid the fox under his uh, cloak. And he didn't want people to know that he had had it. And didn't want to kill it because he was afraid of it making too much noise. So he held the fox like underneath his cloak as he was moving around. Until the fox like gouged like the inside of his chest or his stomach out. And like the boy collapsed dead. But no one like no one knew that he had the fox until he was had already died because he's like, I'd rather. Wow. Yeah. Because I, I can't yell or scream or oh, this hurts because I'm going to yeah. get beat. Yeah. Like you're going to get caught. Like it was wow. just and he, and he like he couldn't strangle the fox right then because he was afraid the fox would yell whimper. So wow. he was like trying to like get away with. And, and that was also the whole Spartan mentality was like it was totally OK to steal a fox or to sneak around or as long as you got like. The point was you had to get away with it. It wasn't that the <coughs> act itself was illegal. Yeah. It's just that if you're incompetent about it, and those con consequences it, it, again, it's like the grim dark thing with like the rape laws. Rape wasn't illegal, but like if you, you could die, yeah. But like, yeah, but if you're not smart about it, like so, there was that. It was that kind you're of a whole strategizing. Yeah, like it was that kind of a culture where it's like you, like you actually have a great deal of free will. You just also have to deal with like all of the consequences. <laughs> That's what we've been learning at school is like, about excellence, <laughs> but not, not in those uh, situations. Like uh, you, you can rape, just do it with excellence. <laughs> well, no. And, and, and again, I don't, I don't mean to over like some people really, really glamorize Spartan society, but like if, if Sparta had become the preeminent Greek city state, I mean, it was the most powerful Greek city state for a time, but it was not the Greek city state that like the Romans modeled their culture after. Like, you know, it had many failings. It had many cultural failings that allowed it to become economically and militarily weak. Um, even militarily, as you mentioned before, they didn't have people inventing new military technology. Yeah. So the Spartans were actually outclassed later in their history, about a, a, over a hundred, uh, I want to say it was in the two seventies, maybe early 300s i don't know I, like 3, 330 to 270 bc ish um we talked about the battle of thermopylae happening at 480 so we're talking about 150 maybe 200 years after the battle of thermopylae other greek city-states started developing better phalanxes than sparta mm. not because they had a better military training system not because they were more intense soldiers but a they could increase their population through a different means than just inner citizen, you know, breeding and breeding. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, so they, they had a, but then they also were willing to invent new styles of weapons and they had people who were free to do so. Oh, yeah. So they, um, technology. So they, 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 they still kept doing the phalanx, but they changed it from like a six to 12 foot long spear and a, you know, whatever, three to four foot wide bronze shield to um, a smaller forearm buckler that you, instead of gripping with your wrist on the inside of the shield, instead of like, instead of grabbing it with your hand and holding it, it was just strapped to your arm like a so watch. Save strength. 
Um, and then so oh. your spear was now a 12 to 18 foot long, almost like a board. Like if you were to take a two by four out of a lumber store and fashion <laughs> that into a spear, wow. it had a heavy counterweight on the bottom and the point at the other end. And so you, you, instead of gripping a shield and a spear, you just gripped the spear and then you had a little bit of protection from the shield. Yeah. But the idea was if you formed a porcupine out of that, I don't care how badass Spartan you are. Like I have at least six feet on you. Like my whole porcupine of pikes can poke you yeah. at least six feet before you get to me. And you got nothing. Like you don't, you don't have catapults. You don't have archers. You don't have heavy cav. Yeah. Like you literally just have shorter spears and bigger abs. Like, <laughs> and we have reach. <laughs> um, yeah. and, and, and in a one-on-one -on -one fight, a Spartan still probably would have kicked that guy's ass, but yeah. as a military formation, that was just better. Yeah. And like the Spartans had been unable to invent anything, were uninterested in innovation. And even when they saw innovation, they were usually too cocky to adopt it. Yeah. So like, for example, there, there was a Greek city state that conquered every single other Greek city state besides Sparta. They had not yet invaded Sparta. It wasn't like they tried and failed. They had just beaten everybody else. Sparta was the last in the list. And it just didn't feel like getting to it. Yeah. And so they, they had other ambitions in mind, like other targets. They felt, well, even if you conquered Sparta, like it's a decent amount of work. And what have you conquered? You've like conquered a giant Hickville farm like that. <laughs> yeah. Like, congratulations. Yeah. Good for you. <laughs> like, they wanted to go after like major cities, you know, and like they yeah. wanted to conquer like real places. Where um, they can have infrastructure. Yeah. Like, just adopt it kind of. So they, um, they sent a letter to the Spartans being like, okay, we've beaten everyone else. Probably could beat you. We don't feel like it, but if you want, like, you know, if you'll just drop all of your tomfoolery, you could join our army. We could use you. You'd be like a great core. You know, you could like help us on this conquest. It would be amazing. Yeah. Except they didn't agree to the two things that Spartans always agreed to. Number one, the Spartans would have to use this new phalanx thing that they hadn't been trained in. And the Spartans were unwilling to do that. They were like, no, our phalanx mm. is better, even mm. though it wasn't. Tradition. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then also... The Spartans were like, well, we might join this expedition and use your new phalanx if you agree to let a Spartan command it. Like, you have mm. to have agreed to let a Spartan command the invasion and not one of your own guys. <laughs> and they were like, no. Like, that's like, why it's would like, we? Yeah. Like, it, it's our thing. We've already conquered all of this. It's our system. Why would we, like, like, we're, we're, like we're offering you a favor. Um yeah. <laughs> You know, like we're agreeing to not kill you and giving you a chance to share in the spoils. Like, no, if, we want some more history written about us. Yeah. We got to be the leaders. <laughs> well, and so the, the, the Spartans ultimately rejected it. And the, one of the last letter exchanges between these two groups was these people sent a letter to the Spartans being like, um, it's like, okay, they said, if push comes to shove and if you are so obstinate that like you make us invade you, like if it comes down to that, like, we will crush you and we will win. <laughs> and then the Spartans sent a letter back, like in big, bold letters that just said, if. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, like if uh, you invade us, like you, word. yeah, like you're not like <laughs> that's a, such a good response. Um, um, if, but uh, the, the so the 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 joke was ultimately on the Spartans though because this expedition was launched. It was led by Alexander the Great, who conquered the Persian Empire, took over like an Indus River Valley civilization, conquered ancient Egypt, like. Yeah went all like took over the pyramids like did all this stuff he he like the persian empire had been the largest empire up to that point when he was done with his little global tour his empire was the new largest empire in world history yeah and he accumulated so much wealth and he sent it all back to like the home greek lands and he, he even included in a letter it's like, here is a uh, collection of gifts, you know, and spoils, you know, from all the wonders of the world. Uh, this gift is presented to you on behalf of all the Greeks, except the Spartans. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, except the Spartans. Because the, the Spartans weren't there. Um, <laughs> and so, you know, and Alexander the Great is the, the one who gets remembered for that time period. It was his empires that mattered. It was like his legacy and his foundation that kind of laid the groundworks for like Rome and Hellenistic uh, spreading of culture and Hellenistic values. Like it's Alexander the great that makes Greek history important to European history. Like the reason why we learn about the ancient Greeks, like if Alexander had never done that, we probably never would have studied the Greeks at all because the Greeks wouldn't have influenced anyone else. Yeah. And so like, like the Europeans. Yeah. Yeah. So like the, the, the medieval French, would never have known about the Greeks. It was like the only reason why we, like people knew about the Greeks is because Alexander put like Greek histories and stuff like that in libraries all over the globe. Like, and then he appointed Greek governors and like, he had all these Greek, like many empires, like the Greek Egyptian empire lasted for another like 400 years. It's like the Starbucks in the new world. Yeah. Basically <laughs> the Starbucks and there's a little uh, Greek history for you. No, no, the bunch statues of, and a, stuff. A bunch of cities um, got named. Uh, some of several still exist today that were called Alexandria, like named after him because yeah. he conquered him as he went there. So like the Spartans could have been in on that. They could have even been like a linchpin, you know, for it. Yeah. If they just would have been like five ounces less stubborn. <laughs> right. But um, instead, Sp Sparta's ultimate fate was they got uh, turned into a theme park. Uh, within the Roman Empire. <laughs> um, so when the Roman Empire did conquer all of Greece, because the Roman Empire did, yeah. um, they did hear stories about the Spartans and they thought it was neat and like this queer, like kind of, you know, like sort of way. And so they went to the Spartans and they were like, we'll give you like fewer taxes and a slightly greater degree of like self-governance and autonomy as opposed to other Roman cities, if you agree to basically deliberately not evolve and like you kind of set up like a little like Wild West type theme park <laughs> or like a Renaissance wow. fair. Like a little freak show kind of. Yeah, yeah. And like, and so, so like noble Romans would go visit Sparta to go see what the Spartans looked like, like in their <laughs> wow. like reenactments and stuff. That's so weird. Do you think that's where some of the stories like the dramatically stretched out stories come from? Um, it's just oh, like I'm, I'm sure. the theatrical. Oh yeah, no, I, and I'm sure. Uh, like, not only did Spartans embellished it for Romans, but I'm sure Romans specifically like went to it and enjoyed the more embellished versions 
Yeah. Um, Romans were into that too. They were all into the you know, glory of Rome. <laughs> so the glory of Rome always had to be way more intense than what it was. So they, uh, sorry, some of this stuff just gets to me because I'm, I'm a nerd and it, it, I'm stupid and it shouldn't, but it does. <laughs> um, one of the Roman emperors noticed that there was a conspicuous lack of documented history on early Rome. Like they knew Rome was a city state, had some kings, transitioned into a republic, that republic transitioned to an empire. But like, what was Rome before some of its early kings? Who were its people? Where did they come from? Yeah. He knew this history was lacking. So he commissioned a historian to go out and write a history of early Rome. Like after the Roman Empire already existed. Um, <laughs> and so that he the historian that he commissioned also knew that his work was only going to be of value. Like if he made the most over the top version that he possibly, so he made up all kind. you can read it. It's a book. It's called the Aeneid. It's supposed to cover the history of the, er, of the early foundations of Rome. And he like straight up plagiarizes the, the Iliad, like the Homer stuff that he wrote about like the Trojan war that you've talked about mm -hmm. it is not true. But he made up that after the Trojan horse came in and sacked Troy, that the people who fled Troy settled Rome huh. and they were like nursed by wolves and they became like supernaturally powerful. And it was always their destiny to go back and redefeat the Greeks who had like sacked their city so many years before. Huh. So it like retroactively rejustified the Romans beating up the Greeks as like Troy getting its vengeance on. Yeah. Like propaganda. Like, yeah, oh, yeah. They're, they're the ones that massacred us. We, yeah. We Not deserve like avenge kind of. Yeah. None of it's true, yeah. but it, it at during the time of the Roman empire that was published as the real history of what the Roman empire was. Huh. So the Romans were, they were all into that kind of stuff. Yeah. Like, you know, I'm your producer, Nathan Swanstrom. Thank you for listening to episode two of the Beautiful Chaos podcast. This podcast will always be available for free on your favorite podcast platform. If you'd like to support us financially, you can do so at patreon.com slash podcastbeautifulchaos. Some benefits of supporting us on Patreon include access to episodes one week early and access to exclusive behind-the-scenes photos and videos. Once again, that is patreon.com slash podcastbeautifulchaos. Thanks for listening.